have been studying through the book of Exodus together on Sunday mornings. We started in Exodus chapter 1 and looking at the conversation and looking at the idea of what does it mean to be set apart. As we see in the book of Exodus, God comes to these, his Jewish people, his Hebrews, his Israelites. He comes to them and he takes them out of bondage in Egypt and he sets them apart. And as he brings them down to the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, he shows them, he instructs them, he teaches them, this is what it means to be my people. This is what it means to be set apart. And from Exodus 20 all through the rest of the book of Exodus, and even I could even argue through the rest of the book, it's all about how do we as God's people then identify and live out what it means to be set apart. Apart. So just as we can go in the book of Exodus and we can see examples of how God set apart his people, the, the Jews, during that season of time, there is still a question for us today as the church in 2023, how is it that we live a set apart life? So last week, if you remember, last week we are in Exodus 32 at the first part of the chapter and we are looking at the deceit of sin. So let me just recap if some of you have slipped since then and you've forgotten where we're at in the story. Uh, God sends Moses back to Egypt um, through a series of events. Then Moses leads out all the Jews out of Egypt. He leads them across the Red Sea. They're going down in a southeasterly fashion down to the base of Mount Sinai. They get down to the base of Mount Sinai and God says, make ready. I am going to come to you and in me coming to you, I will reveal myself to you. Then you get to Exodus 18, 19, and 20, and God comes down and says, I am God. There is no mistake of who is God in this scenario. And then in Exodus 20, through Exodus 21, 22, 23, and about 24, he says, this is my commands. These are my rules. These are my expectations for you. Moses comes down in Exodus 24. They renew the covenant between God's people and between God and say, okay, God, everything you said we will do. Exodus 25, Moses goes back up on the mountain, and while he's up, this is Exodus 25, 26, 27 in that range, while he's up there, God is saying, okay, this is how, this is my rules, now these are how you come and you worship me. So he talks about the tabernacle. He talks about the furnishings and the Ark of the Covenant. He talks about the table. He talks about the lampstand. He talks about all the ways the people will then come and worship God. So not only does he tell them, these are my expectations, standards, mandates, rules for you. But then he also says, now this is how you come and worship me. Now while this is going on on the top of the mountain, Aaron, the older brother of Moses, he is down at the base of Mount Sinai, and he is now in charge of over 650,000 people as they are waiting on Moses up on the mountain. And if you look back in Exodus 24, it tells us that Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So there's been a period of time. The people are down there. Moses is up on the mountain. They're waiting for him to come back down. And while all this is going, we saw last week, the people got tired of waiting. 
So last week we were looking at how easily sin creeps into our lives and how quickly sin will begin to deceive us and how often so many times, even in our current circumstance today, it comes in and it might seem subtle, it might seem innocent, it might not seem like a big deal, but sin has its way of creeping into your life and before you know it, you are in the throes, you are in the lifestyle, you are in the behavior of sin. I liken it to your fingernails or your hair or the grass around your yard. I mean, some things you wake up and you're like, I didn't know it would grow that fast. And it's, it's like you don't even realize it until all of a sudden you see it. So in Exodus 32 last week, Aaron is down there and the people come to Aaron and next thing we know, they are engaged in sin. So while Moses is up on the top of the mountain and God is revealing his law to Moses, Aaron and the people are the base of the mountain completely rebelling against God. So in Exodus 32, verse 7 through 10, if you were to go back and you were to break that down, verses 7 through 10, God says, all right, Moses, go back down. The people have rebelled against me. The people have disobeyed me. Go back down, and I am going to destroy them. You get to verses 11 through 14, and Moses intercedes for the people of God and go, oh, no, God, don't do this. Don't do this. Give them a second chance. And then you get down through verse 15, down through verse 20, and then Moses goes down the mountain, picks up Joshua on the way, and he gets to the base of the mountain. He sees all the shenanigans that are going on, all of the immoral lifestyle that is going on, all the godlessness that is taking place. You know the story. He throws down the two tablets holding the Ten Commandments. He throws them down, breaks them, and then in verse 20 in chapter 32 says he takes the idol, grinds it up in a fine dust, throws it in the water, and the people end up drinking the very same thing that they were worshiping. Which then leads us to chapter 32 and verse 21. This morning we're not going to spend a lot of time looking at a really lengthy passage. We're just going to look at this picture here in chapter 32. Because in this passage, Moses is going to ask Aaron a question. This is verse 21. And then Aaron is going to respond to Moses in verse 22, 23, and 24. And what I want to do for our time together in the Word this morning is I want to look at the responses that Aaron gave Moses. You see, sometimes we will be confronted with our sins. Sometimes we will be shown our sins. Sometimes we'll be reminded of our sin. Sometimes people will come and they will talk about our sin. And our response about our sin reveals the condition of our heart. This morning, it's not a question of if you have sinned. The Bible is very clear that every single one of us in this room has sinned. It's not a question this morning of do you enjoy sin. The Bible is very clear that our flesh seeks pleasure and self over the things of God. The question this morning is not have I sinned or will I sin. The question this morning is how do I respond to sin. There's a quote that I see quite a bit and it says, then I put it there at the top of your notes. Sin would not be so attractive if the wages were paid immediately. If 
every single time we sin, we paid the price for that sin right then, it would be a lot easier for you and I to understand the danger and understand the problem and understand the threat of sin and for us to avoid sin. But here you get in Exodus 32, and I can just imagine, Aaron is down there and they're having a good old time. I go back to the old Bill Cosby stunt where Bill Cosby is giving the kids the chocolate cake Some of you are looking like you have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, go back before Bill Cosby was what Bill Cosby is now. And you go back, you probably have to get on a cassette tape. But in one of his comedy stunts, he's talking about breakfast and the kids being down in the kitchen. And the kids want chocolate cake. And so he's feeding the children the chocolate cake. And they're all happy. He's all happy until mom comes down and realizes that the husband is feeding the children chocolate cake for breakfast. And there's this whole comedy stunt there. But I can just imagine Aaron. And he's down there with the people. And he's like, everything's going great. They love me. We're having a good time. Everybody's getting together. Oh, this is awesome. And then brother shows up. And then brother comes to him personally. And we see the responses of Aaron. So if you would, look down at your word of God. And I'm going to start in verse 21 of chapter 32. And let's just look at these responses that Aaron shows us. In verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? You can just imagine, now I don't want to try to add to or make up the type of the way that Moses had asked, but I can just imagine it, Moses going up to Aaron and going, what did they do to you? I don't understand. How could this take place? It was just a a, a few days ago that I went up on the mountain. You were with me, Aaron, when we were in front of Pharaoh. You saw the miracles of God. You heard the word of God. You saw the thunder. You heard the peals of lightning. You saw and heard the trumpet. All of these things, the smoke on top of the mountain, and the cloud on top of the mountain. You knew who God was and that God was here. You saw all of these things. So how in the world, what did the people do to you? Did they drug you? Did they tie you up? Did they hypnotize you? What did they do for you to be the kind of person that you were willing to lead them in this kind of sin? And then you get to verse 22 and you see Aaron's response. And Aaron said... Let not the anger of my Lord Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. Now really we can look at all three of these. Let me just read the rest of these so we kind of get them in context. So he says, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any, of, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. You go home, your brand new puppy that promised to be good when you left the house, and you, in all of your wisdom, left the puppy out in the house, and you go and you open the door, and there is evidence that chewing (laughs) has taken place. And you see the evidence, and you look at the dog, and that dog had this look on his face like, why are you looking at me? 
Why, 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 why are you thinking it is my problem? Well, that is where we're at here in the story. Moses looks at Aaron, and then as Aaron responds back to Moses, there's three particular attitudes that I want you to see with me out of this text. The first way that, that Aaron responds to Moses is by defense, defending himself, or just the first response that we give to our sin is to defend. If you look back at verse 22, Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. In other words, he is saying, why are you getting mad at me? I don't understand why you're getting mad at me. I didn't do it. He has this idea that, hey, I'm going to become defensive. As soon as somebody comes in and says, why did you sin against God? Instead of saying, I have sinned, Aaron's first response is to look at Moses and say, do not get mad at me. We do this in our lives when we are confronted with our sin. One of the, inst one of the instincts that we have is to become defensive. So in verse 22, Aaron said, not, not the anger of my Lord burn hot. And then who does he refer to in the very next sentence? You know the people. They are set on evil. In other words, Aaron looks at Moses and says, do not get mad at me. What about them? What about those people, those people that you brought out, those people that you've been leaning around by the nose, those people that God set aside? Why are you getting mad at me? Why are you not getting mad at them? Do you ever do that? Yes, we do do that. We look at God and say, God, this isn't fair. God, I don't like this. God, I don't want this. And we ha look at God and say, God, I don't know why you're mad at me. What about them? Or we may use the line that so many of us use growing up is they are doing it too. They are doing it too. And so Aaron looks back at Moses and goes, Moses, I am going to defend myself. You are confronting me in my sin, and I am going to defend myself and say that it is not my fault. Why are you mad at me? What about them? I haven't always been the upstanding model citizen that I'm trying to be today. And yet, in my experience with policemen, I have never been pulled over or given a ticket for something I wasn't guilty of. And yet, the majority of the time when we are stopped and the policeman comes up to the, well, I shouldn't say policeman, police person, comes up to the window. The majority of the time, we do not look at that police person and say, yes, we were speeding. Yes, we know that is illegal. Yes, we deserve to have a fine. No, we get upset. Why did you pull me over? I was only doing three over the speed limit. Oh, why did you pull me over? Why did you that pull that person over who's going faster than me? And all we do is we start to get defensive, not accepting the responsibility for what we did wrong. All we want to do is defend ourselves and say, what about the other person? And sometimes we do that with our sin. And sometimes when God comes to us through his word and we see in his word and the Holy Spirit reminds us and shows us errors in our lives. Instead of you and I coming and saying we are wrong, we have sinned, we are guilty in front of God. We start to look around and go, well, why does my neighbor get to do that and I don't get to do that? Why does my peer get to do that and I don't get to do that? Why does another church get to do that and I don't get to do that? Why do my family members get to do that and I don't get to do that? We get defensive about our sin. But then there's a second trait that Aaron gives Moses in verse 23. Not only does he seek to defend himself, 
But then he deflects. So Moses comes to Aaron and says, Aaron, why have you sinned? And why have you led the people into sin? And Aaron decides to defend himself. It's not my fault. Don't get mad at me. And then he decides to deflect the accusation and the accountability. He decides to deflect it away from himself. So you look there in verse 23, and he said, For they said to me, Make us gods. In other words, he is going. It is not my fault. it wasn't my idea. It, it is not my fault. It was nothing that I could do. It was like he's looking at Moses and going, hey, Moses, you need to go talk to them. If you want to know how these idols got made, if you want to know how this party got started, if you want to know how this sin was entered into and engaged in, you need to go talk to them because I am not the person to blame. The problem is the Bible. Who was Aaron? to the people he was their priest he was their chief spiritual leader Aaron was called out by God even before Moses ever showed back up and he was given the responsibility to go and be the mouthpiece for Moses as Moses thought to Pharaoh and so then when they come out of the bondage of Egypt it is Aaron that is then set as the priest of the people Furthermore than that, he was also set as the person in charge of the people in the absence of Moses. And not just that, but he was the one out of any of the rest of the people that were there at the base of the mountain. It was Aaron that had the most knowledge, the most intimate knowledge, the most mature knowledge, the most complete knowledge of who God is. So for Aaron to look at Moses and go, why are you looking at me? Why are you not talking to them? I, it wasn't my idea. It wasn't my fault. Aaron is denying the very fact of who he is. Sometimes us Christians, especially us Christians in the church, the ones that know the truth, the ones that have the truth, the ones that have been taught the truth, we are sometimes the most quickest to deflect the responsibility for our society and for our culture, for our homes. Oh, well, see, it's not my fault. My children don't love Jesus because of the school they go to. Oh, well, it's not my fault that my children don't fear God. It's because of the culture that they're in. Oh, it's not my fault that I do not serve and submit and obey the words of God. It's because of my job's fault. And we as God's people who know the truth, have been taught the truth, and should be practicing the truth, it is so very easy for us to come in and to deflect. We defend and we deflect and we say something like this, I could not Help it. And so Aaron, there as he's speaking to Moses, not only does he defend himself, but then he deflects and he says, You know what? I am not the guy. Why are you coming and talking to me? You should be going and talking to the people. In other words, he's saying, I am not responsible. I am not in charge. And sometimes sin has a way of taking an effect on our lives where we start to think that we will not answer for the sin that we are part of. You may write this down in your margin. Just write the passage down in your margin and read into your hearing. Romans 14 and verses 10 down through 12. It says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So when the time comes that you and I are standing before our Creator, and he says, why did you sin against me? Why did you disobey me? Why did you not submit to me? Why were you not faithful to me? You won't be able to look at your Creator and say, oh, it's Spence's fault. You won't be able to look at the Creator and say, oh, it's Greg's fault. You won't be able to look at the Creator and say, it's my Sunday school teacher's fault. Oh, it's social media's fault. Oh, it's my parents' fault. Every single one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So Aaron is looking at Moses. And in verse 22, he gets defensive. In verse 23, he begins to deflect the responsibility. But then notice in verse 24, he begins to distort the problem. Verse 24, Moses, I mean, Aaron is continuing. This is all one answer. Verse 24, so I said to them. Aaron is speaking to Moses about the people. So I said to them, let any of you have gold, take it off. So they gave it to me, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. There's a distortion. There's a distortion of what is true and what happened. And so many times in our sin, the effect of sin on us, we get that deceit of sin, that sin starts to take root, that sin starts to take hold. And then when someone comes and says, why have you sinned? Why are you doing this? You know this is not what God says to do. And that effect of sin in our lives, we defend ourselves, we deflect against ourselves, and then we start to distort. We start to change the details. Or I put there in your notes, we start to alter the details. What do you mean alter the details, Spence? Well, if you back, look back up in chapter 32 and you look at what was done, it says there in uh, verse 2 of chapter 32, so Aaron said to them, who's he talking to? He's talking to the men. He's talking to the leaders of the family. He's talking to the men in the community. And he says, hey, look, verse 2, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. See, Aaron had led the men to lead their families into idolatry. But now you get down here to verse 24, and it's like Aaron is going, Hey, you know what? I just left it open as a free, uh, a free offering, and it just whoever came and brought their stuff, whoever brought their stuff. He is altering the details of what took place. Not just altering the details, but he is omitting, which just means to uh, not mention it, to take away. He's omitting responsibility. If you look there in verse 24, he says, So they gave it to me, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. It's almost like, you know what? I just, they, 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 everybody, whoever wanted to, I didn't direct anybody to do anything. I did not tell the men to go home and get their wives and their daughters and their sons. I didn't do that. I didn't tell the men to lead out and bring in this. No, I just put a basket. People just put stuff in the basket. I took it and I threw it in the fire and all of a sudden, one, two, three, a little magic oven action and all of a sudden, poof, out comes this calf. Except for the Bible. Except, what does it say in Scripture? It says in verse 4, And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made the golden calf. Not only he altered the details, but he omitted the responsibility. 
And then notice how once he, once he forms this thing, back up in chapter 32 and verse 4, after he forms this thing, he then proclaims, these are your gods. And yet you get here to verse 24, and he says, out came this calf. One minute it's a god, the next minute it's a calf. Does that mean that it wasn't a calf? No, it was the form, that was the appearance. But before Aaron saw that form, that piece of metal as a god, and now he just sees it as a figurine. Not only does he alter the details, not only does he omit responsibility, but he minimizes the offense. And sin does that. Sin does that because it gets us to distort what is true and what God has said and what God expects of us. Sin will come into our lives and sin will work into our lives and it will get you and I to see the sin. But we will respond to it by minimizing how bad of a sin it is. Then we will try to normalize it and say, well, everybody else is doing it, so therefore it must be okay. And then we will begin to justify the sin as if, well, I don't have another option or it's not my fault or I am the victim. We will then justify and then we will search for some way to then sanctify defy it. So we'll take it and we'll put Christians somewhere in the description and say, oh, so therefore it is okay. I got asked to come and speak at the in cabin time at Falls Creek a number of years ago for a family member had a youth group down there. He said, hey, would you come do our in cabin time? I only live about 45 minutes away. I said, yeah, I'd be happy to come. Showed up. They got out of even your tabernacle there. There, I'm the speaker that's supposed to be there for their in cabin time. We're talking. Do my, uh, do my spiel in front of the kids. We're leaving. I said, hey, who's coming in to speak tomorrow night? He said, well, tomorrow night we're not going to have a speaker. Tomorrow night we're having a Jesus party. So what's a Jesus party? He said, well, I've got this DJ coming in, and this DJ is going to come in, and this DJ is going to perform a DJ routine, and we're just going to have a Jesus party. And I said, you know what? I would kind of like to know what you mean by a Jesus party. So the next night, he sends me a video of the Jesus party. And what the Jesus party looked like was a full-on dance party that I saw in college. The gyrations. The movement, the sound, and the beat of the music. If somebody did not know that it was called a Jesus party, they might think it was a scene out of the nightclub tremors that was attached to the tumbleweed in Stillwater in the early 2000s. Evan knows tremors very well. <laughs> But it's this idea that if you didn't know, what had they done? What they had done is, is they took something secular, they called it something Jesus, and they sanctified it. Now, am I saying they were sinning by having this Jesus party? That's not my place to say. What I'm saying is, is in our lifestyles, we will do things. We will minimize. We will normalize. We will justify. And then we seek ways to sanctify. I made a petition. Last Sunday that every single one of you in this room goes and watch Sound of Freedom. 
And I realize that not every single one of you are here, so this is now, the, this is the now my appeal to say now you have one more week to go watch the movie Sound of Freedom. If you haven't gone and watched it this week, you need to double your offering to the Lord today and then go out and make sure that you do not come back next Sunday before you've watched the movie Sound of Freedom. It's imperative that not only are you aware of the darkness and the sin that is around us, but you are aware of the opportunity that we as salt and light in this earth, we have opportunities to serve those that cannot serve themselves. But the whole just gist of the movie is about young people being abused by immoral adults. And then you turn on the news this week and you will see headlines about, and I want to do this very G-rated, but you will see headlines about minor attracted people. And so then what it becomes is what the Bible calls sin and what society just a decade ago would have called pedophilia. Now our culture is calling a diagnosis. We must be careful of minimizing sin, normalizing sin, justifying sin, and then sanctifying sin. So as Aaron is speaking back to Moses, and as Moses comes and he confronts Aaron and says, what have you done? How could you have done this? Instead of Aaron saying, you are right, I was wrong, I confess and repent my sins to God, what does he do? He defends himself, he deflects from responsibility, and he distorts the reality of his sin. And church, this morning, I'm not saying that you and you alone, I'm not saying a group of you and a group of you alone, I'm saying that one of the biggest problems we have in the church today is we do not fully understand and recognize and deal with the effect of sin in our lives personally and in our lives corporately. We ignore the effect of sin. When we're reminded and we're shown whether it's the sin of apathy, whether it's the sin of laziness, whether it's the sin of not being brokenhearted about the lost around us, whether it's the sin of lack of submitting to God's word, whether it's the sin of accommodating, supporting, encouraging, or just outright allowing sin and unrepentant, flagrant sin present in our lives, in our families, whatever it may be, we don't understand just how much sin has effect in our lives and in our hearts. And then when we're exposed or then when we're challenged with the, uh, the reality of sin, it's how we respond that shows the character of our heart. So what do we do with this? Three core values that we have adopted as a church. Build families, teach the Bible, and be the church. We've adopted that this is the things that we want to be true about us. So if we come to a passage like this, last week we were talking about the deceit of sin. This morning we're talking about the effect of sin. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to talk about the consequence of our sin as we look at how God responds to Moses and the people in Exodus 33. But as we think about this idea of sin, how does this then impact and inform these three core values as a church? 
Three ideas and we're done. Respond to the real dangers. How do we consider this reality of sin and the effect of sin in our lives? How how does that come in and inform the way we build families? We respond to the real dangers. The problem is not the pronouns. The problem is a lack of fear of God. The problem is not the godless ideologies that are being crammed down your children's throat in the public arena. The problem is, is a lack of submission to what God's word says. The problem is not being a man-centered issue. The problem is a spiritual-centered issue. And we must respond to the real dangers. The real dangers are is we have a whole group of people that are being raised up and are not being taught to fear God, follow God, or submit to God. Forget all of the external things and all the surface things and all the man-centered things. Let's think about the spiritual things. And how are our children supposed to grow up learning how to fear God and follow God and submit to God if they don't see us adults fearing God and following God and submitting to God? How are our young people supposed to grow up knowing that there are truths and there are truths outlined in Scripture that are timeless and they do not change if they see us adults constantly being willing to check the temperature or check the wind pattern of social opinion and going in that direction? We must, we must respond to the real dangers and that is the relativism of our times that says this is not true. The relativism or time that says you can say whatever you want to say is true. It's your reality. It's not sin. We are redefining what God's word says so we can make it palpable to the people today. We need to respond to the real dangers. Not just that. We need to proclaim grace and truth. Proclaim grace and truth. You may say, well, Spence, oh, this is great. You've talked to all of us about sin for the last 30 minutes. All you've talked about is bad, 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 sin, 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 negative, negative, negative. May I tell you that there is only one reason that Jesus came to this earth, and it wasn't because you're so awesome, and it wasn't because he was bored, and it wasn't because he didn't have anything else to do. He came to this earth. He lived a life, died the death we deserve, was put in the grave, rose from the tomb, went back to the right hand of the Father, all for one singular reason sin so the beauty of the gospel is not that oh how wretched and dirty of a person you are but the beauty of the gospel you go back to John chapter 1 and verse 14 that when Jesus came he was full of grace and truth it's we're able to go to people and we're going to say the truth is that I have sinned the truth is that I'm a wretched person the truth is that sin has a negative effect in my life the truth is that I'm more prone to sin than I am willing to admit oh but here's the good news God loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me so we can't have the good truth we can't have the good grace we can't have the good news if we don't have the truth of who we are apart from Jesus Christ And yet as a church, we start to think, well, we're just going to powder their behinds, we're just going to tickle their ears, and we're just going to make them feel good and leave them out. And they walk out with no help or no hope for when the troubles come. That is why we as a church, when it comes to teaching the Bible, we must proclaim grace and truth. We must be a church that comes in and tells them that they are made... In the image of God. And this God has a standard, has a mandate, has a rule for their life. And when we break that rule, it is what we call sin. And this sin separates us from God. But oh, the good news is that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for 
us. We don't have to be a church that is all negative and legalistic. Oh, bad boot, everybody's going to go to hell. But we also can't be a church that we never recognize the effect of sin. Because if we have no sin, there is no grace. So we must be a church that not just teaches grace, but truth. So then how does that affect us being the church? We confess and repent of our sin to God. We repent and confess our sin to God. First John 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar and his truth is not in us. Verse 9, the one that most of you all realize, if we, confess our, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. But then you go to verse 10 and it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. See, the reality is for us sitting in this room this morning, Every single one of us have sin that we can confess and repent of this morning. Every single one of us have sinned against God. And every single one of us are sitting here this morning going, so what have I done about that? I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm not questioning how nice and good of a person you are. What I'm saying this morning is that church, so often we come in these doors and we come in and we sit down and we stand up, we sit down and then we leave and we never address the sin. And you may say, well, Spence, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not talking about the sin of murder. Well, Spence, I'm sober this morning. I'm not talking about the sin of a substance abuse. Well, sin, Spence, and we, and we start naming off all these big sins that we would hold up and say, well, I'm not guilty of all these sins right here. Because we minimized and justified and normalized disobedience. Unfaithfulness. Apathy towards lost people. And church, this morning might be a time that we, as a church, need to confess and repent of our sins to God. Am I going to tell you this morning that as soon as you were to come clean with God, all of a sudden God will give you a million dollars? No. I wish. <laughs> we could. Start a building project. Oh, I wish. Am I going to stand before you this morning and go, well, you know, if you just come and confess and repent to me, I'll be able to absolve you of your sin and you can walk out of here a clear, conscious individual because you've come and told me all your dirty laundry. No, that's not the way this works. Does that mean that every single person has to come to the front and weep and mourn and wail over their sin? No, I'm not saying that's what is required. 
In fact, we're not going to take score or keep track of who is repenting and confessing this morning. The reality is, is this is not about you and the person next to you or you and the church around you or you and the servant up front of you. The question is, is where do you stand with God? And when God comes in t- through Moses to confront Aaron, Instead of Aaron taking responsibility and repenting and confessing of his sin to God, Aaron chose to defend, to deflect, and to distort. So my plea with you this morning is do not leave this place defending your sin, deflecting your sin. Or distorting your sin. Because no matter how you and I want to define it. Or however you and I want to try to address it. God knows. And it impacts. And affects us. In more ways than we know. So you might be here this morning. And you might be under the throes and the effect of sin. Spence, what do I do? It's simple. You confess your sin to God and you repent of your sin before God. Well, Spence, I'm not saved, but I know I need to be saved. Well, that is awesome news. You're in a good place. There are people here that can then show you and explain to you what it means to be saved. So, Spence, there's another decision I need to make. Great, you're in an awesome place. We, in a few moments as we are singing, we would love to pray with you. We would love to counsel with you. We would love to come alongside of you. You say, well, I have lots of questions and I don't know where to start. Well, that's wonderful because you're in a good place because there are people here that love you and that are more than happy to open God's Word and to share with you what God's Word says about how do we live our lives. This isn't something that you come and we have some type of formula. It is just simply that you come and we open God's word and say, now what does God's word say? And then how do then we then respond? So we are going to pray. We are going to worship. If you need to give to the Lord, feel free to get up and go back and give to the Lord as the Lord puts on your heart. But we are going to pray and then we're going to worship. And then in a few moments, we're going to respond. And if you're here, And you know there's things that you need to repent of this morning. You don't need to be flamboyant. You don't need to be showy this morning. You can just write where you're at. Say, God, you know. God, I know. And now, God, I'm telling you that I'm sorry and I'm wrong and I'm confessing my sin to you. Please do not leave here still under the influence of the effect of sin. Will you pray with me?